Hey, Fredcast fans, it's David, and I'm back with another special extra edition of the Fredcast. Today is Friday. It's the last day of Interbike 2008. If I sound tired, I am. Uh, Yesterday was a very busy day. Uh, Yesterday, Thursday, we started the day with the Lance Armstrong press conference, and I've posted that for you to listen to already. Uh, after that, I had a special interview. That's what you're going to be hearing next. I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, then I was on the social media panel. I'll be posting that conversation up a little bit later, maybe uh, tomorrow perhaps. Uh, and then we had the Interbike Mobile Social, and it was that was a lot of fun. Uh, starting at the Sands Convention Center, uh, heading out on bikes over to Mandalay Bay uh, to our special VIP tent where we had uh, free drinks for everyone, and we had a lot of great giveaways. And then we got to watch the USA Criterium Finals. And uh, we were all there quite late, but it was a lot of fun. Everybody had a good time. We want to thank uh, Sportgenic for their major sponsorship of that event, but also Ibex, Crumpler, uh, Dahan, Head. Uh, It was just a, a great event. Oh, Jensen USA, we can't forget them as well. So a lot of great sponsors. And then, of course, it was uh, put on by uh, Bikehugger.com, CommuteByBike.com, and, of course, TheFredCast.com. So a lot of fun. We'll do that again, and we hope that you'll be able to join us. I met a lot of listeners out there. That was that was a lot of fun. So next year, uh, the next time we do that, plan to come out. We're, we're working on perhaps doing that at South by Southwest in Austin coming up next year. So look for an announcement on that as well. But after the Lance Armstrong press conference yesterday, I stuck around in the press room because I needed to edit up and do some post-production on the sound for the press conference in order to get it up onto the web for you to listen to. I noticed that pretty soon I was the only one left in the room and then in walked Greg LeMond talking to Don Catlin. Now, remember, Don Catlin from UCLA, he's the scientist who's going to be doing the all of the dope testing for Astana and for Lance Armstrong. Very highly regarded, very well known. And the two of them had had an exchange, as you may know, at the press conference and as had Lance and Greg. And it was probably the, the talk of the show yesterday, the fireworks that went on between Greg and the folks on the dais at the press conference. Well, I noticed that Greg and Don were sitting down and they were talking over some of Greg's ideas. And so I got up and I walked to the back of the room and outside and there were just a couple of other journalists uh, who were all waiting to talk to Greg. And I waited with them and when Greg came out, the three of us had an opportunity to talk to Greg Lamond to get a little bit more detail on what exactly it was that Greg was trying to get across in the press conference. What is it about VO2 max testing and carbon monoxide testing that he thinks is so important that he would come in, sit in the front row of the Lance Armstrong press conference and be the first person to ask questions uh, and really start a firestorm of activity at the press conference. Well, we had a good 15 minutes with Greg LeMond. It was a very interesting and enlightening conversation to me. It was also kind of special to be just talking to Greg LeMond, just standing there looking at the man and just knowing that this is the guy that I watched win uh, the Tour de France and and beat Laurent Fignon on on the Champs-Élysées. It was really sort of special. So here's my interview with Greg LeMond. I hope you enjoy it. I will have more from Interbike coming up in the next day or so. Stay tuned for that. In the meantime, enjoy the interview. But most of all, as my iPhone ticks in the background, (laughs) enjoy the ride. I was just wanting to know if Don Catlin was, you know, I'd gone to the tour in, um, last year and laid out a, a plan that I thought would eliminate, and I, I was going to have Michael Ashton involved, and because um, one of the things you can't test for is autologous blood transfusions, but right. 
you know, performance and output of power, um, it all comes down to, to genetics. And there's no amount of training that will change it. Right. And you either got a high VO2 max or you don't. And a VO2 max and power output is, is sustainable output of power on a climber time trial is a percentage of your VO2 max. So if you have a 90 VO2 max and you could sustain a time trial at 86 milliliters of oxygen, um, and all, wattage is weight dependent too, but it's all relative. If you're bigger, you produce more watts, but you have more drag. That's why Charlie Mo take a time trial well because his watts per kilo was very high. His oxygen intake was very high, but he was very aerodynamic. But if you put them side by side on a machine and did watt testing against a guy the size of Indoran, he'd be 70 watts off. Uh, but the oxygen intake that he needs probably would be consistent with, you know, a world-class cyclist. I mean, I, I, I know that I've been tested. I, I just tested it last March, and uh, I was at 6.2 liters of oxygen, and I couldn't get... I was, I was fried from, from cross-country skiing. I, I didn't, couldn't get to my max. 6.2 liters of oxygen um, at my old racing weights at 90 milliliters. And so if you have a VO2 max that's around 80, you can train until you're blue in the face and never have built up a lactic acid. You're limited to a certain amount of watts, and it's way below 400 watts. So your, your point in there was saying that it's all very well saying be transparent, put all this stuff on the internet, but... Blood values and all that. I mean, you know, if, if you're if you're a smart doctor, you just keep your blood values always high. I mean, you just, you know, microdosing a VPO, whatever. You just always keep it at where you train at altitude, and and so when they're testing, it's it's fifty percent. But when EPO is is only detectable within a few days, and uh, that's why it's. Very hard. Then autologous blood transfusions is not detectable. Right. The only way to do that was with a, is a carbon monoxide test, and which Michael Ashen has has proposed, and I think it's something that I was trying to. I was going to be part of an advisory group for the independent doping agency, and I was going to. Okay. I said, you know, if you're not part of the UCI, you know, taking a puff of a cigarette equivalent of carbon monoxide, it's not even a cigarette. I mean, it's not won't cause cancer. But a little bit of carbon monoxide will test the volume of hemoglobin in the body. And that would, you could prove a positive for autologous blood transfusions. And so you do that along with profiling riders' natural oxygen intake and watts in relation to that. Because I could have high, like high liters. I did 66.0 liters, but I was not trained, so my wattage was not that high. But my oxygen was there. And unfortunately for certain athletes, they published their liters of consumption and documents, medical documents. So, you know, you know, just somebody with a 5.9 liter oxygen, let's just say, I don't know who that is, but somebody has a 5.9 liter of oxygen, it, to, to produce 500 watts, you'd have to probably uh, drop your weight down to, uh, I'd have to calculate it up, but let's say you have to be around 62 kilos to do that so those are the kind of figures you'd want to see uh, yeah, I, I, I could tell you Steve Levitt from uh, Freakonomics book uh, if somebody really wanted to just really look at the whole past which I think if you don't look at the past you don't look at, you don't learn from the, if you don't look at the past you're not going to learn from the past and you're going to do the same thing in the future and that's what's happening in our economy and to me we're, we just did a huge step backwards not with his comeback I don't Armstrong can come back all he wants. I don't care. Uh, 
But the old management of the tour that was really in process of changing the sport are gone. And something happened between the day they split with the UCI and now. And it is not something that's just, oh, they didn't, they think Patrick's clear, they weren't doing a good job. Something else got in between. And that's what I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, it's kind of hopeless to think of even be, I'm, I'm, I'm really decided I'm walking away from pro cycling, period. I'm just not going to be part of it. And okay. uh, now I'm going to be in the bike business because I still love cycling. Then I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll go do a Grand Fondo. And I think, you know, to me, it's cycling needs to get more about the, the purity and the fun and, yeah. and doing your personal best. Those Grand Fondos are great. You've got a transponder. You can come up and every year try to try to beat yourself. And uh, and that's where I do love cycling. Sure. And I, I went to the Grand Fondo with my son. It was the best experience I've had. And that's yeah. why I went back to the tour last year and said, I want to be involved. Yeah. But i got to have it clean. I, I can't be bald, involved with the pro team unless I can look a sponsor in the eye and say, you can win it without drugs. So that's why you, that's why you would step away from pro so- professional cycling because it, it looks like nobody... People, people glossing over. Yeah, the if, so the you UC, think, you if, if, if the old, if the old management's still there at the UCI, it's it's it's, it's, it's difficult. Forward, yeah. I don't know. I, maybe the UCI can change. I would like to see. I don't. Pat McQuaid has sent me three letters, threatening you know me. But like, like I've been, I I've, I've called the UCI corrupt, and it, it was more a generalization about you know when you when you have. A, a president of a federation and, and a guy when a guy dies an Italian doctor die, an Italian rider dies and his teammate says we got to change the sport and he this president responds if you don't like it get out of the sport what kind of confidence does that instill into the riders they don't trust the system and I'm saying that UCI could be involved in regulating promoting the benefits of cycling and I would just hope that the UCI and the Tour de France will separate the drugs so there's no finger pointing at each other that's been a problem and I can't figure out for the life of me why you, even the UCI would want that responsibility. It should be off to a group like WADA, but with criminal aspect and transparency. That is, it's, it's, it's controlled by multiple people and in, in, in from governments from different countries. Because yeah. the money is spent by the UCI, by the teams, and there's, there's enough funding out there to do it. But what you want to do is the riders just want to know that they can trust the system. That's all. And that's why I mean I just I just hope that Don will look at that type of aspect of testing, in addition to the traditional testing. Right. And I think if that can happen, that would be great. So you, you had to, I mean, obviously it's a private conversation there, but did you kind of smooth things over a bit with Don there? Just no, he just I, you know I just I I had a lot of respect for Don, and I just was you know I said I just want you to realize you know I I, I am amazed by the lack of intelligence or the lack of critical thinking with. Doctors, journalists. I mean, if you if anybody read half a bit of, about physiology and how you produce power in, in aerobic sports, um, it's very simple. And we have a quantitative way to do that, and that's with an SRM. And you don't need to prove that somebody's taken a drug that disappears. I mean, EPO disappears after two days. But the benefit is will show up in your oxygen liters of oxygen intake which equates to higher wattage. So it's a very simple deal, but you'd have to do it year-round to where they could right. surprise testing with a calibrated SRM or some testing machine so that you catch, catch so you can, 
it, really what needs to happen is the carbon monoxide test also for autologous blood transfusion. And because it's not a sport that you, nobody's forcing anybody in the sport to race. You know, you, you, you're signing up to do a race in the, uh, in, in the federation. Really, who, if you want to participate in the sport, you got to do this. If you don't want to do the carbon monoxide test, well, go find another job. There's, there's no rights. So why is it that, that, that people like the UCI, as we saw today, they sort of, they don't want to talk about this kind of testing. They don't want to talk about the VO2 max. They don't want to talk about the carbon monoxide. Why is it that they only want to do it the way it's being done? Because it would show how flawed the system is. It's like, I don't need to hear about a drug test. I know when guys are taking drugs just by watching their wattage. Now, I, unfortunately, there's only been a few people kind of giving out that personal information. But if my, I talked to Patrice Claire about having everybody on SRM that's sealed, controlled and calibrated by whatever, the doctors, the police, but not team, so that you're having continuous output of power recordings in a stage. And then if you find somebody who's got an oxygen capacity of VO2 max of 80, and he's doing 500 watts for 30 minutes, it's, it's statistically, mathematically impossible to do. So he's positive. Boom, he's out. That's doping. And that's, those are stuff that you could do without having to have the smoking gun. And that, that's, that's all. It's, it's, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's, it's just disappointing that I can't. It's like I, it, even smart doctors just... What you find about doctors, they specialize in the field and they don't look at too much... And unless you're within the sport, that's why there's certain physiologists would blow the sport apart. But they all earn their living by the sport, too. So everybody has something to lose. So that's why there's this omerta. For me, I have nothing to lose anymore because I'm, you know, I'm out of the bike business track. I'm going to be in litigation, which, you know, I'm not going to say much about that. You know, today was really about talking to Don Catman and and talking about Armstrong, uh, I wanted to know if he was going to look at uh, other, other ways of testing that are more innovative and, and actually more concrete. Because blood values, you can manipulate those, you can do stuff. I mean, it's it, it just... It, it, talk to Michael Ashen. He, he knows what's going on. And he's, he is an ethical, he's a scientist, he wants the truth. And uh, I think the public deserves the truth. That's, I think... Everybody does. Quick question on, uh, on that note. What do you think about my team on Chipotle? They said, hey, we're going to rice clean. And we're gonna make I think Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Vodder is doing a phenomenal job. Even I talked to Jonathan, though. I think Audrey Van Diemen's trainer is one of my trainers in the past. But it's still, that's good. But it, it's got to be by an independent group. It cannot be police with inside. It just, uh, the Italian teams and everybody's been doing uh, My teammate who died, Hasado, he was on a team that had two buses with labs in the back. They've been testing themselves for years. How not to get caught? So what good is it? Self-policing is like a wolf guarding a hen house. I mean, it's you've got to have it so it's outside, neutral, and not part of... You can't... A federation has in its self-interest. The Tour de France has a self-interest. Riders have a self-interest. You've got to have a group that has no self-interest in it. Just They don't care. It's just... You commit a crime, a crime's a crime, you're going to get busted. That's all. Isn't that water already? They only can implement and try to influence federations to, to hold to the deal. But even WADA, I talked to them and I just think that they're not as, as knowledgeable about the actual the, uh, of cycling. How There's very few sports now that 
you can quantitatively running you can do it by minutes per mile but even then that's it's it's cycling's so black and white by watts and we have that data that that technology now that it's it's not a mystery and it it's it's something that can it's really black and white and uh and so that's the thing about cycling has a way to really change and make it clean that's where the tour de france was going and so and what it had done it's done a phenomenal job but trying to keep up with new drugs if you're not doing vo2 and looking at watts autologous blood transfusion can add a big bump in performance in watts and oxygen it's not detectable and that's what they're doing they're doing the watts they're doing today this year less but last year the watts that Dr. Jordan Rasmussen were doing were the equivalent of anybody in the past winning the tour their their watts were 400 450 but they weighed 58 and 60 kilos that's like nearly eight watts per kilo. I mean, it's like, it's impossible. Unless we've all had a genetic mutation over the last 15 years and, and uh, you know, mothers and fathers got together and created, you know, scientific, you know, genetically changed athletes. It's, it's you know, if you look at the history of cycling, you go back to the days of Merckx, uh, Anquetil. I mean, Merckx won his first tour. He know won his first tour. Finian won his first tour. I was third in my first tour. Sick, but I still was right there. My performance really never changed from 18 years old. I mean, 18, I won Circuit de la Sarthe against pros in East Germans. In 19, I was third in Dauphiné, and I, I just, nothing buried. And I, I know if I would have had a watt measuring device, I probably could have watched my watch at 18 and 25, and I don't think they would have buried hardly at all. What happens with racing, pro racing, is when I was racing, you had to sign a contract. You had to do about 100 races, 120 races a year. So trying to work in that schedule and, and try to back off and, and peak for this race, that's what took the couple of years to kind of figure that out. How to, you know, one year I went for every race, you know, 85 a second in every race and didn't win anything barely. And, and then I took the little pressure off and focused on a few, the classics, Paris-Roubaix and Tour Flanders and then Tour de France. And uh, psychologically let myself just focus more on those and then it... it you know, there's a lot of psychological part and peaking too. So I, I got. Thank you so much. Thank you for your. Are you doing the? Well, it was at that point that Greg had to leave to go do a TV interview. But as you can see, the man is passionate about his beliefs and passionate about uh, what he has to say about the UCI and about the Tour de France and about a lot of what goes on in professional cycling. When I asked him the question about why nobody else is following this same path that Greg has laid out. And his, he, he glared at me and he said, because then it would show that the system is flawed. Uh, that's really the way Greg looks at it. I thought it was an enlightening interview. It was great to get some of Greg's time. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back a little bit later. Have a great day.